Today on Ag News Daily. Sun is shining and uh, yeah, we're just, uh, we're happy to have another day uh, harvesting sugar beets here. We're nearing the end so we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And um, and yeah, so things are, things are going well up there. Good afternoon and happy Thursday from the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell and we are almost to the weekend, Halloween weekend at that. That's true. It is Halloween weekend. Spooky season, Ashton. I'm a little sad that it's coming to an end. I'm not going to lie. I was listening to this on the radio the other day about kind of the ideal age for people to quit trick-or-treating or like what age do most people feel like you should stop trick-or-treating. And overall, really, they found that most people just don't care. Like, if you want to trick or treat till you're in high school, great. But they found the median age is typically around 12 years old. I want to be part of the the group of people that trick or treats into adulthood, Ashton, because I wish I could go around and trick or treat still. I just have fond memories of doing that on Halloween night. Well, I feel like everywhere right now has the mini candy bars set out for you to quickly grab. In fact, my apartment gym had the little mini Halloween-sized Snickers bars and gummy bears setting out. And I got to say, I did take a few after my workout yesterday. That seems like the wrong place to put those. My thoughts exactly, but I snuck some chocolate, so I'm not going to bash them on that because I definitely took advantage of it. I mean, I would too. Absolutely. Well, Delaney, we've been kind of talking all week about how we didn't have much news and today is no different. Not a lot going on, but I do have an update coming from the John Deere strike and it looks like things took a turn for the worst earlier yesterday morning as one of the workers that was striking was hit by a truck or there was some kind of collision with a single vehicle and the pedestrian and they were pronounced dead at the accident. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering if John Deere is going to make a statement about that. So just clarify for us, Ashton, was the person that was killed a John Deere striker? He was a worker at the Mylan plant for 15 years. So he was a veteran John Deere employee, I would say. That is not good publicity for John Deere. Absolutely not. And my heart definitely goes out to his loved ones and, you know, those who are hurting from this. And I'm just wondering if these strikes are going to stop because they are close to this highway where the accident occurred. So I don't know what John Deere is going to do about this. I don't know what the UAW is going to do about this. Um, They did, the UAW did make a statement about how it saddened them and and those kinds of things and that they had heavy hearts, but not about what things are going to look like moving forward. That is definitely a good question that might put reality in play for some people. So we'll see how that progresses things here. Ashton, I'm going to turn things around and give us some upbeat news because this week we've got FFA convention returning to Indianapolis for the first time, obviously, in two years here. Ashton, were you an FFA member? I was. I was actually a voting delegate for Texas my senior year. I was an area officer, so I got to travel to national convention and be a part of the voting delegates. Well, that's awesome. I'm very glad to hear that. I was a frequent 
state convention and national convention goer. So I love national convention. It was always a great time of year. Uh, this year, there's going to be about 55,000 students and teachers expected to be at this in-person event. They're also, of course, sharing it virtually with folks. This will be a little weird for you, though, if you're attending. Masks will be required for in-person attendees, Ashton. That is kind of surprising. I mean, we've talked a little bit before about how some of these ag groups, um, you know, aren't particularly keen on the vaccine or mask mandate. So I'm surprised that national FFA, I'm assuming it's a national FFA kind of mandate and not a Mm -hmm. city of Indianapolis mandate. That is um, actually a good question. And I don't know the answer to that. That might be an Indianapolis thing because yeah, I mean, I don't know that they're enforcing it, enforcing it very well. I've seen pictures and videos from colleagues that are at the event, and it definitely doesn't look like everyone is wearing their mask. Uh, but there definitely is a good group of students that are wearing it from what I've seen, too. So I don't know if that's an Indianapolis thing or a national FFA thing, but it is definitely happening there. But I think overall, kids are just really happy to get back out there to Indianapolis and get some, some sort of normalcy back. Absolutely, Delaney. And I am going to kick things over, kind of changing our topic of conversation here, because the White House has released a spending framework for the reconciliation bill. And it is coming out that this outline is set for $1.75 trillion compared to Biden's original $3.5 trillion package. But this would be paid for by tax increases that would affect corporations, but would not have much direct impact on agriculture. The summary says that they there are increased investments in climate smart agriculture that could reach roughly 130 million cropland acres per year, representing as many as 240,000 farms. Senate Ag Committee Chair Debbie Stabnow says the Build Back Better framework, quote, grows jobs in rural communities and invests in solutions to the climate crisis to help strengthen the nation's future. Although it is being reported that progressive Democrats might not be on board, the bill could potentially pave the way for a vote on the infrastructure bill, which is widely supported by ag interests. And then additionally here... (laughs) House Speaker Pelosi reportedly is pushing on a vote on the infrastructure bill today. So we might have some more news here when it comes to the infrastructure bill coming out, you know, being announced tomorrow when we talk. But I'm not so sure. It's hard for me to believe just because there's been so much talk on infrastructure and a lot of words. But it seems like not too much is really being done. Yeah, not a lot of action on it yet because it is such a big chunk of money. I am glad that they're taking their time on it at least. Yeah, I guess you're right there, Delaney. I just need to learn patience. Well, one thing producers need to be patient on, Ashton, here is land prices for, according to Steve Brewer of People's Company, the next 12 to 24 months. As we've talked about quite a bit on the podcast, farmland prices have continued across the Midwest, soaring more than 20% in some areas. And 
it's expected that they are going to continue on that pace. He said, really, you know, there's a number of factors that have influenced the strong pace of farmland values and are going to continue. And I don't think these three things are a surprise, but he said rising farm incomes due to increased commodity prices is one of those reasons. Second reason has been historically low interest rates. And the third reason has been the limited supply of available farmland, making it all the more valuable when it does come for sale. So that is definitely something we can expect to continue to see here. And when you look at the five state average price per land, which you're looking at the states of Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, and Missouri, those five states on average have been selling for around $6,500 per acre. And specifically, Iowa and Illinois have been showing signs of about $7,800 on average per acre. So we're seeing that price, you know, as we've talked about, price that producers are willing to pay or foreign investors or private investors stepping in and buying some of that ground has really raised the average here overall. And that unfortunately is going to continue. So not an ideal time to unfortunately go out and buy farmland right now, Ashton. Well, Delaney, I am a broke college kid, so I don't think that I would be buying land right now, even if prices weren't so high. But one thing that I have been looking at is a new product that might help out demand for our soybean producers. The Center for Soy Innovation is coming up with a new soy-based sealant called Replay. According to Matt Amick, who is the director of biofuels and new uses for Missouri soybean, says that it is 88% bio-based. And when spray applied on the asphalt, it can penetrate the surface of the asphalt about an inch deep and will extend the life of that asphalt, sealing out any moisture that could penetrate its surface. So this is really interesting from a sustainability standpoint because it is bio-based, but it's also also sustainable because it extends the life of road surfaces, stretching county highway department budgets, according to Amic, who adds that the test applications will kind of bear that out. But I thought it was interesting because, you know, this could preserve roads, parking lots, other asphalt surfaces that typically die out within like three to five years. So I thought it was pretty interesting. Yeah, and it's interesting you talk about sustainability, Ashton, because that's been a really big theme here at the uh, survivability conference I've been at here in Omaha. And quick shout out if we got any new listeners from the conference. I've been sharing Ag News Daily to those I've been sitting next to at lunch and dinner. But that's really been a key theme here. And I thought it was really interesting. Again, I'm going to tease the Pig X podcast because I've been putting those episodes together while I'm down here. And I think there's going to be some really great conversations. But this one is fresh in my mind because it just happened not long before we recorded the podcast. I was sitting down and chatting with Dr. Brett Kaysen, who is the Vice President of Sustainability for the National Pork Board. And you know, he was talking about sustainability, not only from the fact of these are things we need to put in place as far as production goes on, you know, either row crop or the livestock side of things, but also sustainability in our industry from a people perspective. And he's really kind of the first one I remember hearing that says, you know, we're, we need to do these things correctly when it comes to the science and the data and how to implement procedures on our production. But we also need to drive sustainability among our people and make sure that we're investing our time and energy in building up those people and keeping them in the industry. And I don't know, just a little bit of a different take, I thought, that I've heard from most other people. 
Well, Delaney, you definitely piqued my interest there. So I'm going to be looking out for that conversation when it goes live on the Pig X podcast. But Delaney, I just have one other thing that I really wanted to talk about today. And it is concerning a lawsuit as 19 poultry processors, including Tyson, are accused of conspiring to fix chicken prices. This lawsuit was filed by Washington State Attorney General Bob Ferguson. This lawsuit is the latest against processors and asks for reinstitution for Washington consumers that could potentially run into the millions of dollars. This lawsuit was filed in state court in Seattle, and it accuses the companies of manipulating prices for broiler chickens since at least 2008 in violation of state antitrust and consumer protection laws. So, of course, I'm going to be keeping my ears to the ground when it comes to this lawsuit. But like I said, this is just another one that we've really seen come to light here lately. Well, Ashton, that's just one more piece of the puzzle. They're really cracking down on this, which I think a lot of producers appreciate, but it definitely creates a little bit of uncertainty. I think that you're absolutely right. And with that uncertainty, like I said, going to be looking out for any other news that comes of this lawsuit and really what's going to happen next for those producers. Because like I said there, this settlement or this lawsuit could go into the millions of dollars, which is a, a lot to lose. It certainly is, Ashton. But I tell you what, I think the only other piece of news we have for today is the commodity markets. And quickly, I want to give another plug because we're starting to get in some great responses from our listeners across the network. Folks, we're doing a global ag network survey. We're sharing it in the uh, show notes for today. We're also sharing it on our social media account. Please, please, please take just it'll I promise it'll take two minutes or less to fill this survey out trying to get some important data about the folks that listen to our podcast. So please take some time to fill that out. But Ashton, as we have over to chat into the commodity markets today, we saw some mixed trade today in grains. December corn up five and a half cents, closing the day at five sixty-two and three quarters. The March up five and a quarter, ending the day at five seventy-one and a quarter. Soybeans finished lower on the day. I checked earlier today, and they were finishing closing or trading about a penny lower, but did close a little bit lower than that on the day. November down five and a half cents, closing the day out at twelve thirty-three and three quarters. The January down three and three quarters cents. Closing the day at 12.46 even. Wheat today was significantly higher across all three complexes as the December Chicago contract up 12 and three quarter cents, closing the day at 7.72 and a half. The March up 12 and a half cents, ending the day out at 7.85 and a half. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock markets today, we saw mixed trade again today. Uh, December live cattle up $1.25, closing the day at 1.30.20. 13032 and a half the February up a dollar 20 closing the day out at 13575 and in feeder cattle as i mentioned we saw mostly weakness here october really you know doesn't have a lot of volume right now and that was really the only month that added a little get value today november however lost 82 and a half cents closing at 15765 the january down a dollar 37 and a half closing the day out at 15757 lean hogs finally saw some green on the screen this week as the december contract added 322 to close at 7520 the february closing the day out at 7720 up $2.87 on the day and lastly, hopping into the class three dairy milk futures weakness again today is a November contract shed 28 cents. 
ending the day at 1856. December shedding 22 cents, closing the day out at 1849. Ashton, without further ado, fill us in on who we're chatting with for today's conversation. Well, today we are actually talking about the sugar beet harvest. Well, we have some more harvest talk coming at you with Harrison Weber, who is the executive director of the Red River Valley Sugar Beet Growers Association. Harrison, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us today. Absolutely happy to be here. We're, uh, I'm actually in a sugar beet field right now. I'm in the pole tractor, and so we are, we are live harvesting beets. Well, I love that we've got you live. I feel like that just shows the reality of working in the fields, working in agriculture. So we always like talking to people who are, you know, boots on the ground in the fields. But Harrison, I want to know a little bit more about what you do, because not only do you have the office job of being the executive director of the Red River Valley Sugar Beet Growers Association, but obviously you're a producer yourself. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about your operation? Yeah, sure. You betcha. So uh, I'm I'm out helping on my my family farm here. It's my my uncle and my cousin, uh, their operation, and then my dad, myself, and and my grandfather uh, are also part of the farm. And um, yeah, so we farm west southwest of Fargo, North Dakota, about thirty miles. Uh, wheat, corn, soybeans, uh, little sunflowers, some barley once in a while, uh, and obviously. Number one and the best is uh, our sugar beets. So Harrison, with all of those different crops, uh, are you, do you guys have two or three different harvest lines running or are you doing corn and then soybeans and sugar beet? Like, what's the operation look like from that aspect? Because that's interesting that you have so many different crops you're working with. Lots of different logistics. Um, it just kind of depends on the weather conditions and what's going on at the time. Um, I'll be honest, sugar beet harvest is the priority. And so we devote extra harvest help or, or any other resources we can, uh, to the sugar beet crop until we get that out. And then we'll go back to, uh, corn or finish up soybeans. Now this year, uh, we were, we were able to get quite a number of the acres off of, of both corn and soybeans. We got a little bit of corn left and a couple of pockets of soybeans. So Harrison, you bring up weather there and I want to know what the weather looks like because you said you're in the Red River Valley and I am from North Texas. So we have Red River Valley, but you're not from North Texas. You're from, I believe it's in North Dakota, is it not? Yeah, that's right. I, I uh, we, we catch that a lot. Uh, I think people from around the United States call it the Red River Valley of the North, actually. And so we're located uh, right smack dab in between North Dakota and Minnesota. The Red River is the uh, dividing line for the border there, and and that's exactly where where we're located. The weather right now, um, boy, we've had a we've had a very interesting summer. Obviously, there was widespread drought uh, across the you know, much part of the Midwest, uh, the United States, and it was particularly hard hit in uh, North Dakota, we were, it was arguably a, a record, a record or a historic drought. Um, that being said, um, you know, the crops generally fared well. Um, and I think you know, that relates a lot to our genetics and, and also our soil structure here in the River Valley. It's a very clay, clay-based soil that holds on to every ounce of moisture it has. So it was, 
a lot of the crops were going down, diving deep and, and finding moisture this year. And, and, uh, you know, not everything was great by any means, but, um, we're, we're pleasantly surprised with the conditions that we face currently today. Uh, we're coming out of a, a very chilly morning. It's about 33, 34 degrees right now. Uh, the sun is shining and, um, yeah, we're just, uh, we're happy to have another day uh, harvesting sugar beets here. We're nearing the end, so we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And, um, and yeah, so things are, things are going well up there. Well, it's exciting. I think there's a lot of growers uh, here around central Iowa that are wrapping up as well in my neck of the woods. So it's good to see folks getting in and getting out this year. For the most part, it sounds like really across the country, we've had pretty decent weather as far as harvest time comes. I know you guys suffered quite a bit there during the growing season itself, as you mentioned, but I want to switch tracks here a little bit, Harrison, and talk about your role with the Red River Valley Cooperative System, a sugar beet growers system. You are the executive director. Tell us what that role entails. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as the executive director of the Red River Valley Sugar Beet Growers, we represent the sugar beet growers for the American Crystal Sugar Company. Uh, which is a, a sugar beet cooperative, the largest sugar beet cooperative in the United States. And uh, we represent our growers on, on state politics, North Dakota, Minnesota state politics, as well as uh, federal policy on, on pesticides, uh, crop insurance. And then uh, our, our, our number one issue is the, uh, the, the farm bill and maintaining a, a strong U.S. sugar program. And so that's kind of what we do day to day. It's uh, led by a a group of, of 10 board members uh, from up and down the Red River Valley and farmers, obviously sugar beet growers, and, and uh, it's a fantastic group and, and happy to and excited to, to be working for these guys and, and on their behalf. So we got to talk in a little bit before we started recording here, Harrison, just about the labor situation. And I mentioned that I've seen a couple of different tweets, some from your page included, about what the labor situation looks like in the sugar beet industry. So can you just peel the curtain back a little bit and let us know what the situation's like right now? Yeah. So um, sugar beets are really a unique animal. Um, it's uh, a large movement of, of freight, of, of weight, of tonnage. And so you need a, a significant number of, of trucks to move that, you know, uh, way more than you would even for corn. And so we estimate that when we start harvest, we, we have a, about uh, 3,500 extra semis that go on the road for a, a two-week period to get the crop out. And um, with that comes uh, our harvest structure, which runs 24 hours a day. And so we actually need roughly uh, 5,000 or so truck drivers uh, throughout the valley. And then on top of that, you know, we obviously have our, our sugar beet lifter or harvester operators. And then we have uh, beet cart operators. That's basically your grain cart uh, for, for the other commodities. And, and then also uh, what I'm doing today is a pull tractor where we literally, when it gets a little bit too muddy or too wet in the field, we have to pull the semis, uh, through the field or at least, uh, get them, get them through a ditch or something like that. And so I've done some back of the napkin math before and for our entire harvest process, we need, you know, it's reasonably fair to say we need seven, eight, nine, ten thousand people. Uh, for our 10-day, our two-week period of harvest up and down the valley. 
we have challenges on the on the farm. We also have challenges, obviously, staffing our uh, piling sites, our rural piling sites, where we we store the beets throughout the winter. And so there's definitely uh, definitely challenges. Um, but I think you know, as sugar beet growers, we're kind of used to that. It's definitely uh, it's definitely gotten more challenging and over the years. And so if anybody listening out there, if you're interested in uh, helping with the sugar beet harvest up here in the Red River Valley, uh, and you got a little bit of experience in terms of driving a truck or, or operating heavy equipment, um, doggone it, we'll take you. We need everybody up here. So it's, uh, it's good pay, uh, strong wages for that, for that, you know, short amount of time, but, um, and it's exciting. It's, it's an event that is, uh, Unlike anything else you've ever you've ever seen, it's the the largest movement of freight in the world in that amount of time, and uh, it takes a lot of moving pieces, and it's a very coordinated uh, coordinated uh, harvest. It's it's quite a quite a scene to see. Now, Harrison, I'm curious. With a lot of other industries, there's you know the U.S. custom harvesters that travel around to help with harvest. Do you guys get a lot of custom harvesters for sugar beets in particular? No, not for not for harvesters. Um, I would say an over ninety eight percent of the of the farms, maybe even ninety nine percent of the farms, own their own harvester. Um, and then on top of that, they would own their other their their beet toppers, um, their beet carts. Most of the the farmers would own all of their own equipment, including their semis. There's a little bit of custom hauling that is uh, that has continued to grow or, or grow in size anyway. But uh, generally speaking, no, there, there isn't anything, anything like that in terms of for sugar beets. Okay, interesting. I wasn't sure about that. It, it, I didn't think that there was, but I don't know. You never know. So I've got to ask, I was looking at your Twitter profile before we hopped on with you today, and you like to post a lot of tweets about sugar. Obviously, that is your profession. Do you feel like you're inclined to eat more sugar products because you're producing it? <laughs> Hey, I, you know, I, I love, I love a, a good sugar cookie or a, a Snickers <laughs> or, or a can of pop, just like everybody, you know, we, we've been, what we've been saying as an industry is, you know, uh, it, it's just fine to have, you know, one cookie or something like that. You don't need to have 10, 12, 15 at one sitting, you know, that's ridiculous. And so, uh, I, I, I like my candy bar just like everybody else. So. Well, guys, you heard it here first. We are pro candy bar over here at Ag News Daily. But Harrison, just want to thank you once more for coming on and taking the time out of your harvest to chat with us about sugar beets. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. And uh, um, yeah, it's it's uh, been going good up here with our harvest. We are going to harvest about uh, 11 and a half million tons here and, and it'll be a, a good crop, uh, not a, not a record breaker by any means, but um, yeah, just, just a shout out to any of our sugar beet growers that are in the Red River Valley listening. Uh, if they are, um, thanks for all the work you guys do in getting this crop into the pile. And, and uh, we'll just, uh, we'll see you at the annual meeting and, and go sugar. Thanks again there to Harrison for coming on and talking to us about the sugar beet harvest. I remember him saying that this is like one of the biggest movements, you know, per ton or or something of that nature. And it just blew my mind that there's enough sugar beets to weigh that much. Yeah, it's certainly a lot of sugar beets, a lot of good stuff that those sugar beets are going to make, Ashton. 
Absolutely, Delaney. But folks, we're going to keep having interesting conversations and hopefully some more harvest conversations as things are kind of wrapping up across the board here. I say that, but harvest for cotton is just getting started. So we are definitely going to keep having conversations here about that on the Ag News Daily podcast, which you can tune into at agnewsdaily.com. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.